Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Red Lake Nation. I'm your host, Doug Gray from RedsMinorLeagues.com, and I'm joined tonight by Bill Lack from RedLeagueNation.com. How you doing, Bill? Doing good, man. It's baseball time. That's right. It is baseball time. It's even on my TV right now, and I am excited about it, having that off day in between opening day and the second game. I hate it. I know why they do it, but it drives me crazy that I have to wait all winter for baseball, and then I get it, and then they take it away the next day. Don't like it. Well, Glad it's back. <laughs> well, then, you know, if you win the first game of the season, then you're going to be 162-0, and you know, and if you lose the first game, you need to tear the franchise apart and rebuild. Well, that's what I've been hearing, but I'm not sure I can necessarily agree with that. Um, but unfortunately, we did lose on opening day, and we actually lost more than a game. Uh, Ryan Lovelock went down with a shoulder injury. He had surgery today. It came out that they're expecting to miss at least 13 to 14 weeks. But I actually heard Will Carroll on the radio locally here in Cincinnati this afternoon, and he actually said that, generally speaking, this kind of injury is something that's going to make a guy miss four to six months. Uh, which is a little bit longer than the Reds were saying. So but either, either way, you know, he's out for at least half of the season. Um, the Reds are going to have to call up, oh, well, they did call up Derek Robinson from AAA, uh, not necessarily to take his place, but just to fill out somebody on the bench. I mean, at least for tonight, they're going to play Chris Heisey out in left field and uh, bat him second, and they move Phillips to the cleanup spot. Uh, what's your take on this whole situation? Well, the first thing I would say is if the if the Reds uh, medical staff is saying, you know, 12 to 13 weeks, he's going to be out six months. Uh, <laughs> the Reds medical staff are always wrong when they predict how long somebody's going to be out. I can't remember what uh, guys are out day to day. You know, they're day to day and they're out for three weeks. So I, I, I don't take anything they say with anything more than a grain of salt. Um, as for for the the injury, you know, if, if you lose your number four hitter, and I think the I think as some of the guys on the blog have said, the, the biggest problem is that it throws the lineup all into disarray and allows you know the lineup that we thought had been pretty much dusty proofed, you know, Dusty's back in the mix and Phillips is out of the two spot, back in the four spot. Um, you know, I don't know who the best answer at four was. Chris Welsh thought Jay Bruce was the best answer. Some people think Tom Frazier. I don't know. Um, I'm glad to see that they didn't move Cozart up to the two-hole. Uh, I think he's better off hitting down lower. They're just going to have to see. But if, if, if Ludwig's out for the year, you know, I, I agree with the folks to say it's not time to panic. But if I was Walt, I wouldn't be afraid to be making a phone call and looking around. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think it's a little too early for, uh, for, you know, making a trade. I don't think anybody's going to be looking to move anybody yet. Bill, I can hear you the, uh, the background. I don't know if you've got your speakers turned up or not. Um, but uh, if you do, maybe turn those down, turn those down a bit. A bit. Um, but I, I think that, you know, for right now, at least, they're going to try and give Chris Heisey a shot. Um, it's, it's not the worst thing they could do. Um, you know, panic mode doesn't need to be set in. Uh, I really think that, you know, not that Ludwig isn't important, but given the backups that we have all around the field, uh, losing an outfield is probably the best scenario we could have had. 
you know, replacing Joey Votto, nobody's going to do that. You know, somebody in the middle of the infield, we don't have a second baseman or a shortstop that I would feel even remotely comfortable with starting every day if Cozart or Phillips went out. So I, I think that, you know, while it always sucks to lose, you know, a starting player, especially a guy who's hitting fourth for your team, the Reds were most equipped to handle the loss of an outfielder. Um, and I just think that, you know, we, we kind of got a little bit lucky, if you want to look at it in that way, uh, that it was an outfielder versus, you know, someone else. Well, I think if they were going to lose someone, I wouldn't say an outfielder, because if they had lost Chew or Bruce, they'd be in, they'd be in deep doo-doo. If they were going to lose someone, Ludwig was the least damaging person to lose. The, the funny thing is, if you think about it, though, as healthy as this team was last year, they go into the playoffs and they use Quaida, lose Quaida, what, six pitches into the playoffs. Then in the first game of the season, we lose our starting left fielder. The juju has not been good for the Reds of late. Well, at least right now it's early in the season. Um, you know, you can kind of adjust on the fly for something like that, whereas with Quaida, it really just threw a whole wrench basically into the entire series. You know, we had to change our rotation all the way around. You know, guys were going on short rest. Mike Leak had to make a start. That was just a disaster. So hopefully this is the last time we've got to worry about an injury to somebody for a long time, um, at least a, a serious-type injury. You know, obviously a few guys are going to go 15, 20 days on the DL this season. It's going to happen. But, you know, hopefully it is just something that, you know, we only have to deal with this one long-term injury for the season. Yep. Well, why don't we move on into the minor league previews there, Doug? All right. Um, first team up, we'll start at the bottom and work our way up, is the uh, Dayton Dragons. Um, you know, I, I think this might be the most talented team top to bottom in the system. Um, you know, they've got you know four quality starting pitchers in the rotation. Every single one of these guys, you know, can throw at least low 90s. Um, you know, they're all well-regarded prospects. And then the fifth guy is uh, basically an unheard-of guy, Wandy Peralta. You know, he's filling in for Dan Langfield, who is he's back in extended spring training. He got hurt a little bit during the spring. He's not expected to be out too long, but, you know, Peralta pitched really well in the spring. And, you know, he got the nod over maybe a few guys who, you know, had better numbers than he did last year, but he impressed enough this spring that, you know, he filled in. Um, but... You know, two guys are returning who finished out their season last year in Dayton with Robert Stevenson and uh, Ismael Guillaume. Did you have a chance to see either one of those guys last year, Bill? Yeah, I saw I saw them both because I, I had I had partial t- seasons at, up in Dayton. And the, the other thing about this team that I think is interesting is they've got three number ones on this team, and I can't ever remember that happening in the Reds organization. Hmm. You know, I think you might be right. I mean, the last time they even had that many – First round picks was 2007 when they had Mezzarocco, Kyle Lotzgar, and Todd Frazier all in the first round, and they were all on different you know, timetables. So, yeah, you're yep. probably right. That's a lot of that's a lot of money and a lot of talent tied up on one minor league ball club. It certainly is. Um, so what, what did you think about those two guys last year? What you saw, you know, I'm obviously it was a little little bit limited since both of them were only there from about, you know. Five or six starts each, but what, what did you what did you see with those guys? Stevenson, I thought, was very impressive for his age. You know, he just seemed to have a lot of poise on the mound. He uh, he handled himself a lot better than you'd expect out of a kid that was 19 years old. And 
he struggled a little bit with his control, but you know, not not dramatically so. Um, but you know, when you're striking out a, a guy in inning when you're a starter, that that's something to be impressed with. Yeah, I, I think that you know he's clearly the top pitching prospect in the organization in my book. I know some people will argue with me on that one, but I just think that you know his overall package is just so much better than anybody else that's currently in our system right now. Uh, I don't expect him to be in Dayton all year, uh, but I think that you know he might stick around for ten to fifteen starts depending on how he does before he gets promoted. Yeah, I kind of think he'll probably be there till, till close to the All Star break. I mean, he's so young. I don't think they're going to push him along. Um, and, and, and the uh, the Guillaume got kid too. He's another one that you know he's he's only twenty, um, and and again another kid only he didn't have the control issues that that Stevenson did, at least at Dayton and, and also at, at Billings. And well, I guess you know he was walking about one every two innings at Billings and one every three innings at Dayton, but at Dayton he struck out twenty seven batters in twenty four innings, and, and that's that's impressive. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with uh, Dion is that, you know, his breaking ball, you know, he leans on it a lot, but it's not nearly as good as his fastball or changeup. Um, and I think that sometimes he'll fall in love with it, and it, at times that's what can lead to his control problems that, you know, we've seen in the past. Um, and, you know, even at times we saw last year in Billings, but it didn't really show up so much in Dayton last year, and uh, hopefully he can keep going with that and improve the breaking ball. Um, He's another guy that, you know, I expect him to spend most of the year in Dayton, but I could see him getting promoted at some point as well um, if, a, if a spot opens up for him in, in Bakersfield towards the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, one way the organization, I think, has changed in, in, since Jockety has taken over. I think they're more apt to, to, to promote in the middle of the year than they were in years past. Yeah. Um, we'll move on to the other two guys in rotation real quick. Um, Drew Sisko. You know, last year was his first year back from Tommy John surgery. Um, coming out of the draft, he was among the most polished pitchers in the draft. Um, you know, despite the fact that he was a high schooler, you know, that was the big thing that people talked about is how polished he was. You know, he threw strikes. He was very mature for his age, and he went to Billings last year. And you know, he did was pound the strike zone. He walked seven guys in you know 58 innings, I believe. Um, Really polished kid. I think that he can have a lot of success in Dayton. You know, his upside, you know, maybe a, a number four starter, number three if everything goes perfectly right. Um, but I, I think that he'll be really good for Dayton, and he's certainly a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, he definitely has value. There's no doubt about that. And, and you know, after, you know, he threw a, a 339 ERA first year back off Tommy John, you would think he'll he'll improve. And he stuck out 45 guys in 58 innings. So you even think that that'll even probably pick up a little bit that second year back? Yeah, and one of the uh, more interesting things is that he was actually a lot stronger in the second half of the season for Billings. Um, you know, as he got going, he started racking up more strikeouts. Um, you know, the further he got into the season, so I, I do think that you know he's definitely a guy that you know keep an eye on. You know, he gets a decent amount of ground balls, uh, which always helps. Um, but yeah, he's. He's definitely one of the uh, better prospects that we've seen come through Dayton. And, you know, on this staff, you know, he might be the third or fourth best pitching prospect just because of who else is there with him. Yeah, that's what I, I was thinking as you were saying that, that for many years past he would have been by far the number one starter in Dayton, and this year he might be number three. 
the other guy that we should talk about is Sal Romano. Um, you know, he's another one of those guys. He's 19 years old this year. Um, you know, the Dragons haven't really had too many teenagers start off the season with them. Um, the last two was Jacob Johnson and uh, J.C. Sulberon. And Sulberon really struggled as a 19-year-old, and it seems that the Reds kind of stepped back after that from sending their young pitchers, you know, right out of the gate into Dayton. Uh, but, you know, Sal Romano held his own in Billings last year as an 18-year-old against mostly college talent. And, you know, he's a really big kid, and, you know, he gets a lot of ground balls. Um, you know, I, I think that you know, the things he needs to work on the most is just repeating his mechanics. That was the one thing that scouts that I talked to brought up over and over is that he, he wasn't consistent with his mechanics, and it led to a, a variance in his stuff throughout the season. Uh, you know, when he's on his game, you know, he's got a 92 or 94 mile an hour fastball and good off speed stuff, but he's been inconsistent, which, you know, he's going to be 19 this season. That's to be expected. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll take your word for it. I, I don't, I, I've never seen the kid, so I, I know he is, uh, he's the number 29 prospect in the system, according to Baseball America. I, I read that today. Yeah, I, I had him a little bit lower. He was uh, my number 41 guy, but, you know, when you get past, you know, number eight or nine in the red system at this point, I think a lot of guys are really interchangeable over the next, you know, 20 to 30 spots. You can make a good argument for any of them. Um, but we'll move on to the position guys now. I, I really think those four guys that weren't talking about more than the other guys on this roster, um, start off with the first baseman, Carlos Sanchez. You know, it's interesting you know, he's a first baseman, but, you know, he's five foot eleven. you know, 200 pounds, tops. Um, you know, he's not a fast runner, but he tied the Pioneer League record for triples last season. Um, you know, he hit for a lot of power. I think that, you know, he's going to be a good player for the Dragons. Um, he's not exactly the uh, most touted prospect, but, you know, he's a guy that gets the most out of his abilities. Yeah, he had some, some pop in Billings, too. He hit eight home runs up there last year in 61 ball games. Yeah, and, you know, in the past, Billings has been more of a launching pad than it was this year. And, well, I guess past year, since they've got their new stadium, it's it's pretty neutral now. The rest of the league is pretty hitter-friendly, but, you know, he, he hit, you know, plenty of home runs. And, you know, as I said, he has the league-tying record for triples as well. So he, he certainly got some pop in his bat despite his size. Uh Going to the other side of the infield is uh, Seth Mejia's Breen. Um, this guy, he hit two home runs in college in three seasons and then went to Billings last year and hit, I think it was eight or nine home runs last he had eight year. Game, yeah, he had eight and 46 games last year. Yeah, and, you know, it was a really big surprise that he had only hit two in college because the scouting reports, you know, talked about him putting on shows in batting practice. You know, just light tower power, which, you know, when he started hitting with the wooden bat, you know, you didn't quite see the light tower power, but, you know, scouts noted that he had changed his swing and all of a sudden he was able to get more out of it, you know, whereas before in college he wasn't able to do that. Um, he's a really good athlete. You know, his fielding percentage last year wasn't that good, but it was a small sample and he kind of had – you know, a mixture of errors between throwing and fielding. So I, I think that with time, you know, he's going to develop into a quality defensive third baseman. And you know, he's got the right offensive tools. You know, he had a good strikeout-to-walk ratio last year. 
Um, and plate discipline hasn't been a problem for him in the past. So if the step forward he took with the power is real, you know, he could be one of the best position players for the Dragons this year. Okay. Um, and then we'll get to the two first-rounders uh, on the position side of things from last year, uh, Jesse Winker and Jeff Jelilich. Um, I think that they're both going to alternate between left field and right field like they did last year in Billings. Um, I think that the Reds are going to want to get both of them time in each spot before they kind of make a decision, before they really have to, um, and get both guys comfortable in each spot. Um, but, you know, Winker last year had probably the best debut for a position player that I can recall in recent memory. Um, you know, he finished in the top five in batting average and on-base percentage in OPS in a league filled with college players uh, as an 18-year-old. You know, guys just don't do that. And he walked 41 times and struck out 50 times on the season. You know, that's another thing that you really don't see teenagers do. And this spring report that I heard is that, you know, he was starting to show that power that, you know, he didn't really show off too much last year. And, you know, if he's ready to take that step forward and hit for power, you know, he could be one of the top prospects in all of the Midwest League this year. Yeah, and, and even last year, I mean, he only had five home runs, but he had 16 doubles and three triples. So, I mean, it's not like he was a slap hitter. Yeah, definitely not. I, I think that it's just something that, you know, especially with the younger players, you know, they're going to grow into it over time. They're still, yep. you know, going through the weight training that some of these college guys get while they're in college that, you know, he only really had at the level of Billings last year to really get into the, you know, workout regimen that, you know, older guys have been going through for years in college. Um, and I just think that, you know, he's got a real chance to be one of the best prospects in the league. And, you know, it seems like Dayton gets one of those guys every few years. And uh, I guess the last guy would have been Jay Bruce. Well, I guess that was well, – I'm old. It was, that was seven or eight years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, you, you, can, maybe, you can maybe make the argument Devin Mazzarocco, but uh, the, the thing about this kid, like, as you were saying, you know, the, the baseball uh, reference uh, lists him at 6'3", 195, and that's at 19 years old. You know, you assume he's probably going to fill out some. So maybe some of that doubles, those doubles will turn into home runs over time. Yeah, I mean, I, from all the scouting reports I've seen, you know, He's a 20 to 25 home run guy, so I don't think that we should expect big time power. But with all the rest of the stuff that he can do with the bat, you know, if he can hit 25 home runs, he should be a really valuable player. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'll take it. I'll take 25 out of anybody. To me, that's good power, you know. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that, especially now that you know the testing is going on more in Major League Baseball, that we're seeing the power drop off. That yeah. we're still kind of getting used to the new numbers that we should expect from people, especially on the power side of things. Uh, but we'll go on to the last guy from the Dayton squad that we wanted to look at, Jeff Jelilich. Um, he was also a supplemental first-rounder last year. You know, he didn't hit well in Dillings at all. Um, but he also played through a hand injury, which, you know, that's, I think that that, you know, is something that we can write off as, you know, just a kind of do-over season for him. Um, you know, he was playing hurt, and it, especially a hand injury, you're not going to hit the way that you should. Um, but I, I think that it's going to be a big season for him in the sense that, you know, it's really important for him to get going. Starting his career off, 
know, with two bad offensive seasons isn't really what he wants to do, and it might hurt his confidence. But I think that it'll be key for him to, you know, take that step forward now that he's healthy and put up the numbers that, you know, he expects from himself. Well, the other thing is even though he was struggling at the plate, his on-base percentage was almost 90 points higher than his batting average. So he still was contributing even though he wasn't hitting real well. Yeah, I mean, you know, the tools are there for him. I think that it is just a matter of, you know, kind of getting in a groove. And, you know, as you know, if he got on base plenty, um, it was just a matter of, you know, what happened when he put the bat on the ball. And I think that, you know, the hand injury did come into play a lot with that. So if he can kind of repeat what he did last year, maybe improve the play discipline just a little bit, um, that, you know, it'll, it'll be a good season for him. There are a couple other guys I wanted to ask you about, Doug. The uh, the, the shorts, the, the kid that's going to play shortstop. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's V I N C E J. I believe it's Vinci, but don't hold me to that. I've heard it pronounced about ten different ways, um, but I'm pretty sure that that's right. What, what um, do you think of him? You know, I'm sold on his glove. Everybody I've talked to, you know, they're in love with his glove. He's a very good defender at shortstop. He's got good range. He's got a good arm. I'm not sure that I trust his bat. You know, I know he hit over 300 last year, but he doesn't have any power. I don't think he's going to grow into any power. You know, he's he's a lean kid. I think he comes in at 165. Um, oh wow, that you know, is bad. He, he's not going he's not going to grow into much power um, as he matures. Um, and you know, his college hitting numbers they're not. There just wasn't anything there that I saw where I thought, you know, this guy's going to be a decent hitter. Um, fortunately for him, he's a good enough shortstop that it might not matter too much as long as he can hit a little bit. Um, you know, I said the same thing about Zach Cozart when he was in Dayton. I didn't think he was going to ever learn to hit um, anywhere near as good as he is right now. And, you know, in my face. But, you know, I, I'm just not sure that I trust his bat enough. Um, you know, I, I think that for Dayton, he'll be plenty good enough to, you know, keep in the lineup every day. I think he'll even hit decent enough in Dayton. I'm just not sure that I'm still in his long-term future as, you know, a guy who we could see starting one day in the majors. The other guy I wanted to ask you about is Mo Wiley. Uh, he served as a closer last year uh, in Billings. I think that he can do that again this year. You know, he's got a good fastball. Um, I actually think that he's one of the guys that, you know, we could see promoted – to Bakersfield, you know, mid-season, maybe even earlier if the, if the situation arises. Because I, I think that, you know, he's one of the more advanced relievers on this team, and, you know, his stuff's good enough to play at any of the levels. Um, it's, it's just going to be about execution. Um, I, I would expect him to be closing for the Dragons. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's move out to the West Coast. Ah, uh, the Bakersfield plays. Um, I think that there's really only two pitchers that I wanted to talk about on this roster. Um, John Moscott, who I got outstanding reports on from this spring. Everybody who saw him this spring just raved about this kid. You know, they love, love, love his makeup, his maturity. Um, you know, it's not too often that I hear reports about guys' makeup, you know, throughout the season. I heard about it last year. Um, and then I heard a lot, a lot about it this spring. And the last guy I really heard about it this much was Todd Frazier. So it's been, you know, a few years since I started hearing mm-hmm. reports about a guy's makeup being this good. So I, I think that's a really big thing for him. 
but you know he's not just a makeup guy. He's got a fastball that can run up to 94 miles an hour. He's got you know he's got a good curveball, a good slider, and a good changeup. You know he's got four good pitches. I really think that he could be a quick mover in the system um, if the Reds want to push him hard. I'm not sure that they're going to keep him as a starter long term, but I think that this year for sure they'll keep him as a starter, and then after that, kind of depending on what their needs are, they'll decide on what they're going to do with him. It's also interesting that they're jumping him from Billings over Dayton to, to out to the to high 18. And the, the last pitcher I remember him doing that with, maybe there's been another one, was I think Sam LeCure. Um, they did that with Singrani as well, um, just just last year. Um, oh, did they? He did not. Yeah, he did. He didn't pitch in Dayton. He went from destroying the Pioneer League to destroying the California League, and then they moved him up to Double A, and then eventually Cincinnati at the very end of the season. But, uh, yeah, the Reds don't do that too often. Um, you see a lot of other teams do that with their top-end guys, but it seems the Reds have always, or not always, but almost always had that stop in Dayton, even if it was just for, you know, two or three months before they moved him up. So I really do think that it says something about how they feel uh, with Mondscott, right. especially, especially since it's going to the California League, which is incredibly hitter-friendly, that, you know, they've got the confidence that he can make that jump. Okay. And then... uh the last guy that I wanted to talk about from the pitchers was uh, Carlos Contreras. He was in Dayton last year. Uh, he closed out some of their games. They kind of had a closer-by-committee situation last year. But uh, I actually heard some reports this spring that they were considering starting him this year. Uh, they actually added him to the 40-man roster last year, uh, which is – it was a surprise to a lot of people because, you know, he had just spent the entire season in Dayton, and he he's not a well-known prospect, but – you know, he's a guy that's got three pitches. He's got a fastball that he can run up to 98 out of the bullpen, although he's more in the 90 to 95 range on most nights. Um, and, you know, he's got a, a good curveball or a, a good changeup in a, a developing curveball, um, which if he works out of the bullpen, he's probably not going to use too much. Um, but it, it shows potential at times, although it, it needs a lot of work in regards to his consistency. At times it can really flatten out. And other times it can be really loopy. But every now and again, he'll throw that one that you think, okay, I can see this developing into a really good pitch one day. Yeah, and, and through two levels last year, he threw about he threw like 60 innings and had like 63 strikeouts. So it'll be interesting to see if he can keep that kind of number as, as he progresses up the system. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, with his spot on the 40-man roster, that you know, if they start him, even if they do start him this year, um, the Blaze haven't announced the rotation yet, so it's, I'm still not sure if he's going to start or not this year. That eventually his role is going to be in the bullpen because, you know, they're going to he's going to run out of options before you know he's ready as a starting pitcher. So I, I think that in the long run he is going to wind up in the bullpen no matter how he's used this year. Okay. Uh, the the only other pitcher that I noticed that I wanted to ask you about is this Michael Denhart. Yeah, he uh, he pitched with Dayton last year. Um, you know, he he's he's got solid stuff, um, but you know, I think he's he's you know ninety, ninety one, ninety two. But you know, he's another one of those guys that this will be his first full year removed from Tommy John surgery. And you know, usually that's when guys, if they're going to take that next step, you know, it's that full year afterwards after they come back. But you know. I think that it's good that you brought him up. You know, I hadn't really thought about it at that when I was going through the transcript, but, you know, he's a guy to watch because 
if he's going to take that step forward, you know, this is probably the time that we're going to see it. Um, and, you know, he was a good college pitcher, and then he got hurt. So if he can get back to where he was, you know, I, I think that he could be a guy that we could see in the future in the bullpen. Okay. Uh, and then on the position side, there's actually a lot of guys. Um, I know that you saw a bunch of these guys last year. So I just wanted to hit on one or two guys and uh, let you take on a few of these guys. But the Reds actually acquired – uh, I hope I'm saying his name right. Juan Silverio from the White Sox at the end of the at the end of spring, um, and it looks like he's going to be the starting third baseman for Bakersfield this year. Um, he's a really toolsy player. Um, you know, he signed a few years ago for six hundred thousand dollars out of the Dominican Republic. Um, he was as high as the number eight prospect in the White Sox organization uh, after the 2011 season, but he's kind of got that Juan Francisco thing going where. He'll swing at just about anything that you throw toward the plate. He does not walk that much, and I think that his aggressive nature really holds back his tools for being able to play at the plate. You know, the scouting reports talk about, you know, he's got really good power, you know, he's got a good hit tool, but you just don't see that in the stat line at the end of the season. Um, but I think that, you know, he'll be a guy to watch, and especially since he's so new to the system that, you know, he's a guy that could turn heads if he can take that step forward and, you know, hone in the strike zone that he chooses to swing at uh, throughout the season. Now, I know that, as you said, you've got partial season tickets up in Dayton. Um, what did you think of some of the guys last year that are going to be going to Bakersfield this year? I would think the, the guy that probably impressed me the most was Ryan Wright. Um he was just he wasn't outstanding but he was steady. He was there every day. He didn't you know, he didn't embarrass he never seemed to embarrass himself, you know, he, he just good work ethic, uh played pretty good defense at second base, uh just a, a steady kind of guy. Um kind of guy you build your team around, you know. Um I don't know how high he can climb. I don't know if he's a if he's you know, I I'm not as good at calling how high these guys can climb as you are. But he impressed me probably more than anybody on, on the on the Dragon Ball Club last year. Yeah, I think he's a solid player. Um, you know, he might have a major league future. I think more so as a utility guy than a starter. Um, one yeah. interesting thing uh, last year, he actually did get a late promotion to Bakersfield last year from Dayton. And in mm -hmm. Dayton, he didn't he didn't hit for much home run power, but he had, I think he had 32 doubles in about 85 percent of a season with Dayton. So you know, the double power was there. But with Bakersfield, at the end of the season, he went on a big home run run. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see, especially from the home run point of view, what he can do in Bakersfield and in the California League, just because, you know, he did take that step forward in his power late in the season. Um, whether it was, you know, environment influence or not, I'm not sure. But I do find it interesting that he's one of the guys that I really want to keep an eye on, um, you know, from, from the Bakersfield infield this year. Yeah, that's what I was going to – I mean, how much of this do you, do you increase do you attribute to the California League's much more of a hitter's league than the Midwest League, isn't it? Well, absolutely. It's – I mean, the, the Pacific Coast League and AAA is probably the most hitter-friendly. Um, but the California League, it's – some of the parks, it's like playing in Coors Field every night before they had the humidor. Um, Bakersfield, especially, you know, their center field wall is 354 feet from home plate. You know, that, that that's really, really short. So I think that, you know, it does come into play uh, with, you know, 
the guy's power numbers. You know, the old adage is if a guy hits in the California League, big deal. If he does it, be concerned. Uh, but I, I think they really, really does depend on a you know case by case basis. But you know, when a guy does have that power outbreak in the California League, you know, if he's never done it before, you kind of want to see it at the next level rather than buying into it uh, when he does it in the California right. League. Right. The other guy that you know that we need to talk about is, is one of our spotlight guys here on Red Leg Nation is Sean Buckley, and Sean had a big year in Billings, and he came to Dayton last year, and he, he really struggled, um, struck out a lot, you know, he only he hit the same number of home runs that he hit in Billings, only hit him in Billings in about half, you know, less than half as many games. I wasn't getting on base. This is going to be a year. This year's a big year for Sean Buckley. Yeah, I have to wonder though how much his spring affected what he did last year. Uh, I'm not sure if everybody knows this, but he had an appendectomy at the beginning of spring training last year, and he almost didn't play at all during the spring and then went right to Dayton. And, you know, he didn't get that warm-up period that other guys got, and I wonder if, you know, his slow start because of that didn't just compound itself over and over, and he never really got into a groove because he started off so slow. Um, But, you know, like you said, you know, he hit as many home runs as he hit in Billings. And, you know, 14 home runs isn't anything to sneeze at in the Midwest League. You know, that, that's a lot of home runs for most guys. It just doesn't seem that way because he hit that many in half as much time the year before. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that, you know, if he can get off to a good start this season, that, you know, it'll help him build that confidence that he didn't have at all last year because he, he started off so slow he was never able to really turn things around, um, you know, and, as we said, the California League is very hitter-friendly. So it'll be interesting to see if he can, you know, get things going early and how he, you know, keeps that going. Because as you said, he had he had the strikeout problem. And I think he's always going to have, you know, a high strikeout rate. He's got he's got a long swing, but you know, that's what helps him generate as much power as he has. Yeah, and I agree with you. I, I think he needs to get off to a good start and, and get his confidence up, and that'll kind of get his career path back on track. Because I think he took a step back last year, and I wasn't aware of the appendectomy thing myself. So that explains yeah. a lot, but but you know when when they when they look at the numbers, but you know when they say they don't ask how, they ask how many. Yeah, exactly, and uh, you know the numbers didn't look good last year, but I, I think that at the very least some of that can be explained away by you know what he dealt with, and you know especially at the minor league level, you don't get as much information with a lot of these guys, you know. Right. So I I think that you know he definitely is one of the guys to watch for. And like you said, you know, he he definitely needs to have a good season this year, you know, to keep his name in the conversation when we start talking about prospects. Yeah. The other two guys that I think are worth talking about, you know, you, you definitely want to – you always have to talk about are, the, are the, the two Dominican kids that the Reds signed for big money, you know, Ron, Ron, Juan Duran and, and Jorman Rodriguez. And uh, I had been told years ago by guys that played, you know, around these guys how raw they were. And, and to me, they still look like they're raw. I'm not convinced that either one of them is ever going to be what the Reds thought they'd be when they signed them. You know, you hear stories about Rodriguez's work ethic. Um, and their numbers just, you know, they, they aren't great. I mean, Rodriguez has got better after he got bumped back to Dayton last year. But you wonder how much they're going to progress. Yeah, I'm not I'm not as sold on Juan Duran as I am Norman Rodriguez. Um, Duran, I just his strike zone is so big, being six foot seven, and I, I'm just not sure that he's going to be able to adjust to something like that. It takes a rare breed of guy, you know, to be that big and still control the strike zone. Um, you know, I 
defensively he's a mess also. You know, he's actually a really fast player when he runs in a straight line. He has above average speed if he's running in a straight line. But when he starts getting, you know, going side to side, running at angles, you know, he he still hasn't grown into his body. He's not coordinated with his current body still. I just don't see it. I mean, I guess there's always a chance, but I think there's a very small chance that he ever sees the major leagues at this point, um, at least as a hitter. You know, he's got a strong enough arm that maybe one day he could become a pitcher. But on the offensive side of things, I'm not – I just don't see it with him at this point. Um, now, Rodriguez, on the other hand, I'm more full on him. He just does things that other guys can't do. And he doesn't do them as often as you'd like, but you know he's going to be 20 years old this season. I think that the Reds have pushed him a little bit harder than they should have, given his rawness, as you noted. Um, but if he can take just that little next step forward when it comes to his plate discipline, I really think that his hit tool and his power tool are really going to come out. Um, defensively, you know, I'm sure you saw it at times in Dayton. You know, it didn't seem like he was out there trying as hard as he could. He was very lackadaisical. His effort didn't seem to be there. Um, you know, after he got sent down to Dayton, well, I guess he got sent down to extended spring training after a really bad start in Bakersfield. I started hearing reports when he came back to Dayton that his entire attitude had changed. You know, he was working harder. He was just the way that he interacted with everybody on the team was very different. And then, you know, he actually hit pretty well for the Reds this spring uh, with the big league club and limited action. But, you know, even his plate discipline was there and, you know, small sample size, obviously. But, you know, he drew three walks in about four games worth of playing time. He's never done that in his career, and this was the best competition he's ever faced. So I'm not sure that I want to say he's going to break out this year, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if he just went on an absolute tear either. The other guy on this team that that, uh, that, on, that was on the Dragons last year that's going to be in Bakersfield that kind of impressed me was Juan Duran. I mean, not, not Juan Duran, Juan Silva. Uh, played in some center field for him. Uh, hit for a little bit of power. Uh, got on base. Played some pretty good center field. I, I was pretty impressed with him also. Yeah, he's actually, I mean, he's probably got some of the best plate discipline of anybody in the system. He really understands the strike zone well. Um you know, I, I think he's a, he's a good center fielder. Um, you know, his arm isn't as strong as you would probably like it to be, but he's got really good range out there. He takes good routes. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, he's going to see plenty of playing time uh, in Bakersfield. I think that uh, him and Rodriguez are probably going to alternate uh, between center and right field um, and DH throughout the season. Uh, but, yeah, he, he's a guy I like, I like a lot, actually. Um, I'm just not sure that he's – going to get as much playing time as he did last year because the outfield is a little crowded here because they're still going to want to get Duran, you know, time, and they've also got to get, you know, Rodriguez and Kyle Waldrop, who will probably be the starting left fielder time as well. So I think that, you know, they're going to have to mix and match all of those guys together. Yep. Okay, let's go. Let's move out down to Pen- go down to the Bay to Pensacola and check up on the Blue Wahoos. Oh, okay. I think the biggest story, at least from a Reds perspective, is that Logan Andrusik actually got optioned to Pensacola. Um, the story behind it uh, was that the Reds wanted to work with Tom Brown, who's the pitching coach in Pensacola, and, you know, he specializes with the cut fastball. That's what Andrusik throws the most. Andrusik, you know, he was on the verge of getting cut a few years ago, and Tom Brown caught him the cutter, and it turned his entire career around. 
I think that it's a good move for the Reds to send him there and work with Tom Brown again, and hopefully he can turn things back around. You know, ever since he got to the majors, his control has gotten worse every year. If he can get back to where he was in 2010, you know, he can go back to being a really good pitcher. There's two two guys on this staff that, that are on the Reds' 40-man roster, Doug, that I want you to explain to me why they are. And that's Curtis Parch and, and Josh Raven. I do not understand them being on the 40-man roster. Well, um, I think that they put them there because somebody else would have picked them up in the Rule 5 draft last year. Um, you know, Curtis Parch, if you look at the surface of his numbers overall last year, they're not really good. His area was over 4.5, I believe, but... When he went to the bullpen after after April as a starter, um, he turned everything around. Out of the bullpen, his ERA was, I think it was 3.21, and he had more strikeouts than innings pitched, and his walk rate went down. As a starter, his ERA was over 9, uh, and it really brought down his overall numbers because it was over 9, over 5 starts. And that's a lot of innings when, you know, you're trying to get everything back as a reliever. Um you know, he throws up to 98 miles an hour. Um, his secondary stuff isn't – it's not good. It's not bad, but you know, I think that he needs to take a step forward with his breaking ball uh, before he's ready for the major leagues. But he's got a really big arm, and he's better than his overall numbers appear on the surface uh, from last year. Um, Josh Raven. Yep. Oh, yep. oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, with Josh Raven, it's, it's all about him having a power fastball. Um, you know, he was clocked as high as 101 miles an hour last year in Arizona. Um, you know, he battled injuries last year. He was on the DL three separate times last season. Um, nothing major, but, you know, he had nagging injuries all season. Uh, but he went out to Arizona, and while his ERA wasn't good, you know, he had more walks in innings, and he only walked two guys in 13 innings, which is something he always struggled with. He's always been that guy that, you know, he'll walk six guys per nine innings his career. Um, last year was the first year in the bullpen for him, and there were times where he was dominant, but there were also times where he couldn't find the strike zone, you know, if he walked the ball to the plate. Uh, but, you know, somebody would have taken a chance on him, and the Reds had that roster space, so they took a chance with a guy who can throw 101 miles an hour, and he's got a good enough curveball to get guys out in the major leagues if he can throw his pitches for strikes. Um, you know, definitely a gamble. He might be a guy that you know, he might never see the major leagues despite that he's already on the 40-man roster because his control might never be good enough. But if he takes a step forward there, you know, he could be a shutdown reliever too. The other guy that the other guy that I thought that's on this team that I think is a big story is a former number one or is Kyle Lascar. Uh, career high in innings last year was pitching really, really, really well in Bakersfield. Uh, went to Pensacola and didn't quite pitch as well in 18 starts or in 18 games there. But he was still striking him out, you know, 10 per nine innings. Uh, his, his whip was a little high, but and, and he threw 86 innings. And just the fact that he could throw 100 innings last year says a lot right, just right there. Yeah, I mean, it was the first season in his career where he made it almost all the way through without getting hurt. Uh, he actually did yeah. have an injury in the season uh, in the last two weeks. Um, and the Reds are actually going to put him in the bullpen this year. They they made that move. Um It'll be interesting to see how that works out. Uh, last year, you know, as you noted, he didn't do nearly as well in Pensacola as he did in Bakersfield. But, you know, he he was clearly visibly tired uh, down the stretch for Pensacola. 
know, he'd never been anywhere near that amount of innings in his career because he's always dealt with injuries. Uh, and I really think that it affected both his control and his stuff. And while he's still missing bats, if you watched him, you know, in May and then watched him in August, you would have thought they were two entirely different pitchers. Um, the bullpen thing is interesting because, you know, as we said, you know, he really does, you know, have problems staying healthy. And I, while there's less innings on your arm as a reliever, you're used more frequently. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he responds to, you know, pitching, you know, three or four times a week versus, you know, once or twice a week, you know, in the different usage patterns and how he can hold up healthy. You know, because he's got the stuff to be, you know, a good pitcher. He can throw 95 in the rotation, and he's got a really good breaking ball and a solid changeup. So I, I think that health and control are going to be the big things to watch for, with Lascar this season. Okay. Who else you want to talk about on the Pensacola pitching staff? Uh, real quick, we'll throw uh, Chad Rogers' name out there. Um, he was really good last year in August for Pensacola. Uh, he's not a big stuff guy. He kind of reminds me of Sam LaCure. Uh He can pound the strike zone, and, you know, he's got a good breaking ball. He needs to work on a changeup he's going to say as a starter, but, you know, he, he gets a lot of ground balls and he throws a lot of strikes. And, you know, that, that's a success uh, strategy that, you know, if you can get it done, you know, you can get it done in the major leagues with that too. And, you know, I'm not sure if he's going to stay as a starter, but uh, I think he will be this year for uh, Pensacola and eventually for Louisville. Um, I think that he'll get pushed up eventually. Uh, they'll clear out one of the older guys for him. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a chance we could see him in the major leagues uh, sometime next year uh, if the situation arises where they need a pitcher. Uh, he's very polished, and he, he throws a lot of strikes. Um, and then out of the bullpen, one other guy we should mention would be Drew Hayes. Um, good stuff. Big-time control problems last year. Uh, if he can throw strikes, he's a major league reliever, you know, maybe even an eighth-inning type of guy. His stuff is that good. Uh, but he's really got to cut down on the strike or the walks. Probably needs to cut them in half if he wants to be, you know, a back end of the bullpen type of guy. Yeah, the other the other guy that I like too that uh, that I saw two years ago in Dayton is Josh Smith. Yeah, he's uh, I like him out of the bullpen a little bit better myself. Um, I don't know if you actually saw him pitch out of the bullpen his first year. Um, they called him up in August and he pitched out of the bullpen for the Dragons and then he returned the next year as a starter. Um, but I think he's got a, a good future in the bullpen. Um, out of the bullpen, he gets fastball, 92-94, uh, really good breaking ball. Um, they're going to use him as a starter this year. He's actually, if you look at his numbers last year in Bakersfield, they're a lot better than, you know, what you see on the overall line. He had a really bad April. His area was over seven. Uh, for the rest of the season, it was about, I think it was 3.20. Uh, and he had 118 strikeouts and 40 walks and 126 innings the rest of the season. Um, he's a really good pitcher. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if they end up moving him to the bullpen at some point, uh, maybe even as early as this season later on down the road. Okay, let's let's move on to the position players. We'll start out with, with one of our spotlight guys, Tucker Barnhart. Uh we don't even need to talk about his defense. It's so good. Um, you ever you think he's going to hit enough to to ever be a big league catcher? Oh, that that is the question, isn't it? Um, 
you know, I'm not sure if he if he ever will hit enough to be, you know, a guy who's going to start four times a week. I mean, there's a chance for it. Um, you know, he's really he's a switch hitter, and you know, I'm not sure that it's something that they're going to keep with. You know, they might ask him to, you know, just go from one side of the plate um, at some point. Uh, he really struggled to hit for power uh, from the left side. Um, I'm just, I'm just not sure that that's something you're going to stick with. He, he really struggled last year from the left side of the plate in Double A. He did much better from the right side. Uh, but you know, either way, I think, I think he's a future major leaguer for his defense alone. Um, you know, whether he can be a guy who can be a platoon guy or not is going to be the question uh, that's going to be asked until he proves that he can do something with the bat. Uh, what, what do you think about that? I honestly don't know, and I, and I readily admit my prejudices, and he's one of our spotlight guys, so I, I, I'm not unbiased when I talk about him. Uh, he's a great kid. Uh, you know, I've talked to him a number of times. We've done interviews with him. He's one of our spotlight guys, so we follow him pretty closely. I, I, I die when he goes 0 for 4, and I'm happy. I'm thrilled to death when he goes 4 for 4. And, and I'm, I readily admit that I, I can't give an unbiased opinion about him. All I do is want him to do well. I will say this. It honestly wouldn't surprise me if one day he turned into what Ryan Hannigan is right now. You know, neither guy is ever going to hit for any power. That's just, that's just not in their game. And they're both outstanding defensive catchers. Um, you know, and like Hannigan, he's got really good play discipline. So he's going to walk close to the amount of time he's going to strike out. I think it's just a matter of, you know, whether he's going to be able to do enough with the bat when he puts it on the ball. And I'm just not sure that I'm confident saying he can do that enough at this point to be a starter, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities either. Uh, I think that yeah. it's in there. It's just a matter of him figuring out, you know, how to get the most out of what he's got. I agree. Um, we'll just have to. He's going to. You just hope. You know, I, I just hope he does because I because he's such a good kid. All right. Uh, uh, we'll just uh, move. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, the next guy I'd like to ask you about is this Ryan Lamare. I mean, I, I had seen him in Dayton, and he was very impressive. Uh, plays, you know, he was playing center field for the for the Dragons, uh, very good defensive center fielder. Uh, looks, you know, you know, knows the strike. He looks like he knows the strike zone real well. Um, what do you think of him? He's actually one of the guys I'm really interested in following this year. Um, last year, he played basically the whole season with plantar fasciitis, which, if you don't know, it's it's a foot injury. Um, he actually had to get surgery on it after the season to correct the problem. Um, and I, I really think that that hampered his game. You know, his game is built around speed, and he wasn't nearly as fast as he was the year before because he was dealing with a foot injury. Um, but the other thing is, is he's talked about how he reworked his swing during the off season, um, and last year. One of the things I saw with him in Pensacola is that there was no way that he was ever going to get any power out of that swing. And he's a big guy, and he's got good bat speed. You know, you would think he would hit for power, but the swing he had, it just wasn't ever going to work. Uh, you know, he was out on his front foot, and he had an all-arm swing. Uh, and he reworked it this all season, and I haven't seen what it is yet. But I'm excited because I think that the swing he was using was pretty much the worst swing he could have had um, to still get results. Uh, out of it. Um, so I think that the combination of him being healthy and a new swing for him makes him a really interesting guy to follow, especially when you couple in the defense that he brings, which is outstanding in center field 
even though he might split time there with a few other guys on this roster, because three of the guys are, you know, center fielders on this roster. So they're going to have to find a way to mix and match. But either way, you know, he's going to be an outstanding defender wherever he is. The other guy I think we need to talk about on this team is Donald Lutz. Because I'm, I'm not sure there was a, guy, a non-roster guy in spring training with the Reds that got more publicity than Lutz did. Dusty Baker apparently fell in love with this kid. Well, Lutz is on the 40-man roster. But, yeah, I mean, as far as the non-Reds roster guys, I, I think you're right. He got more pub than anybody else. Um, you know, when he hits the ball, it, it's just different than most other guys. Um, you know, last year um, at the Reds Futures game down at Great American Ballpark, I got there early and I watched that in practice for both the Reds and for the minor league guys. And you could tell a difference when everybody was hitting the ball for the Reds and then the minor league guys. And then Donald Lutz came up. He was hitting it like the major league guys. It was hard. It was on a line. It sounded different. And, you know, he's got some of the best power in all of the minor leagues. The question for me is going to be whether he can make consistent enough contact to get the most out of that power that he does have. I'm not sure that he's ever going to be able to. He's got a really big, long swing, and I'm not – I am not—I'm just—I don't know how to describe it, but I'm not exactly a fan of the swing he has. He gets the ball quick, and he swings hard as can be, but I, I'm just not sure I like the mechanics – in his swing as much as most other guys. Um, now, defensively, it's interesting because he's playing left field and, you know, he's not really – naturally, he's not a left fielder, but, you know, I think he's got all the tools to play out there. His arm's good enough. He's got – he's actually got average speed, which for a guy his size, you'd think there's no way he'd actually be an average runner, but he really is. He moves really well for his size, but he needs to work on, you know, his route running and leading the ball off the bat. I, I think that if he can – become an average defensive outfielder out there, there's a chance he could be a major leaguer. Um, you want to dream on the power because it is a special tool, but I, I'm not I'm not sold on his hit tool at this point. Yeah, I, I think he's another one that we'll, I think we'll know a lot more about him by about halfway through the season this year than we know now. Um, I actually want to move back to the infield real quick. Um, one of the guys from last year that really broke out was Travis Mater. Um, his nickname is Moose. Um, most people actually call him Moose. He says only his family calls him Travis, really. Um, but, you know, he played college basketball and missed a little bit of time uh, developmentally when he was with the Phillies. And, you know, he was a second-round draft pick for the Phillies, and he'd never really produced. And then the Reds got a hold of him, and, you know, he hit really well last year in Bakersfield. Uh, he's another one of those guys. He's a really good athlete with really good power. Um, you know, he's probably going to be playing first base because they've got David Vidal at third base for Pensacola. But you know, he's one of the guys I really want to keep an eye on just because I, I think that he's got the, the tools that he could really break out and become somebody, you know, and he's probably not on too many people's radar at this point. Okay. Um, and then we'll just go on to David Vidal real quick because we talked about him, you know, I don't know about you, but it seemed that every time I was in Dayton when he was there, he made a, a, an awesome defensive play. Every game I was at, you know, he had at least one great defensive play that I just didn't see other guys making at that level. Um, I saw him do 
the same thing at Pensacola last year. I was there for four games, and he made at least five plays that, you know, were web gym type plays that guys just aren't making. Um, you know, he got rushed to Pensacola last year because Henry Rodriguez got hurt, and he didn't really start hitting until August. Um, I, I think that, you know, if he can build on that August that he had last year and get off to a quick start in Pensacola, he could really have a good season this year. All right. Should we move to Louisville? We can move on down to the highest rung on the farm system. Um, the two big prospect pitchers on this team are Tony Singrani and Daniel Corsino. Um, you know, they've kind of been on the same track for the past, you know, eight months or so. What are your thoughts on both of those guys? Well, as you pointed out, I haven't seen Singrani other than a little bit that you know when he was up with the Reds last year, and you know, a couple of times I think I saw him on TV maybe with Louisville. Uh, I look at his numbers and, and they're, they're jaw dropping. Uh, they're just amazingly impressive for a kid that young to, to throw that well. And the same thing with Corsino. Now I saw Corsino in, Day- in Dayton a few years ago, and, and the thing that impresses me most about him is his numbers keep going down as he progresses in, in, in competition. And that's impressive. Yeah, I, I, you know, they skipped Corsino over Bakersfield last year. He went straight from Dayton to Double A in Pensacola. Uh, you know, he didn't strike out as many guys, and his walk rate went way up. Uh, which, you know, that that is a little bit of concern that you know he didn't control the strike zone as well as he had the previous year. Um, but he still finished second in the league in ERA. You know, despite the fact that he was you know 21 years old last year. Um, I think that, you know, if everything breaks right for him, you know, he gets his control back, he's a slightly lesser version of, you know, Johnny Clayton, who he's been compared to throughout his career, because they're similar size, they've got similar stuff. Um, But I think that this year the biggest thing for him is going to be, you know, whether he can control the strike zone, maybe not as good as he did in Dayton, but certainly better than he did last year in Pensacola. Um, With Singarani, you know, I've got a few different questions with him. You know, as you said, the numbers he put up were just incredible. But if you look closer, when he was in Double A, his walk rate more than, it almost doubled from where it was in Bakersfield. You know, he really—I mean, I don't want to say he struggled with the strike zone, but he struggled putting hitters away a little bit more. And I think that that led to more walks. Um, and then, of course, his breaking ball. Um, you know, that, that's kind of twofold because one. The pitch isn't good enough right now to play in the major leagues. I'm not sure it's good enough to play in AAA um, if he throws it 20 times a game. Um, But I think that he also knows that, and he doesn't have confidence to throw it, and he hasn't developed it much over the past two years since he's been in the red system. Um, If he wants to stick as a starter, I think that the Reds might have to put in a scenario where he needs to throw 15 to 20 sliders per game for Louisville just because he doesn't seem to trust the pitch enough to throw it and work on it during games. Um, and if he's going to be a starter, he's going to need that pitch at the major league level. Okay. That's interesting. I, I hadn't heard any of that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that both guys are going to do well for Louisville. They've got the stuff to get by, even if, you know, they don't take those steps forward. But, you know, they're easily the two biggest guys to watch on the bats pitching staff. Um, you know, two other guys, they're, they're older guys. Um, Jose Arredondo spent the time with the Reds last year. Um, surprisingly, to me at least, didn't make the roster out of spring training. Um, 
you know, and ERA under three last year for the big league club and somehow made it through waivers, which confuses me. That's what surprised me. I was amazed that he cleared waivers. Yeah, I, I just can't believe there's a team out there that couldn't have used a guy like Jose Arredondo. But I'm glad that we still have him. I just couldn't believe yeah. that he made it through waivers. Um, you know, I, I think that you know he's gonna he's gonna be back with the Reds at some point this year. Um, you know, what he needs to work on, as I'm sure all Reds fans know, is you know throwing strikes. He had a high walk rate last year. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly why his walk rate was so high, you know, maybe it's a mechanical problem, but hopefully Ted Power can work with him down there and, you know, get that walk rate down a little bit lower because he's a quality pitcher. Um, And then the other guy that actually turned a lot of heads in spring training, not necessarily because of what he was doing, but because of his name, is Mark Pryor. Um, Yep. I went back and watched the video. It'll be interesting to see if Mark Pryor is is just a story or whether he's a, a, a player. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, like I was going to say, he actually went back and watched video from last year when we signed him. And uh, he was working, you know, 90 to 92, 93 miles an hour with his fastball and had good movement on it. Breaking ball was really sharp at times. Um, you know, from the few outings that I did end up watching, the stuff is there. It's not as good as it once was, you know, when he was throwing 220 innings for the Cubs with an ERA under two and a half. But, you know, He's still got major league quality stuff. Um, he's not consistent with it at this point, and you know I think that if he can improve his control a little bit, that you know he he legitimately could make a difference in a major league bullpen. I'm not sure that he will get it with the Reds bullpen, just because as we've noted, they've got a lot of options for the bullpen. But if he can throw strikes with even semi regularity, he's got the stuff to be a major leaguer again. Okay, and and that's the other thing. If the Reds do decide they need to make a move, they've got. Let's assume Pryor is a, is a, a, still a major league pitcher. You've got Arredondo, you've got Pryor, and you got Andrusik all sitting in a minor league that you could trade. Yeah, and you know, I I think that that's one of the good things too is you know the Reds have options not just with players that they can use, but also players they can use to acquire other players that can help them. Exactly. Um, let's move on to the position players for Louisville. Um, the first guy I want to talk about is Nepali Soto. Um, you know, he's kind of a forgotten guy because he, unfortunately for him, plays first base, and we've got that Vado guy out there for the Reds. So that position's not going to open up for him anytime soon, let's hope at least. Um, but the Reds mentioned during the spring that they're going to try him out at third base a little bit too, which is somewhere he had played in the past with not-so-good results. Um, his fielding percentage was under 900 at third base, but that was that was a few years ago. Um, but I, I think that that's going to be interesting to see is you know how his defense progresses if he does get a chance to be there because when his bat is going, it can be a difference maker. And you know even if it's something off of the bench for the Reds, you know as a utility guy who can play the corner infield, even in September, you know his power can make a difference um, if the Reds you know, decide to make that move in, he's acceptable defensively at third base. Or, you know, yeah, I mean, he, he struggled last year, but he, you got to remember, he hit 30 home runs the year before. And, and he's another one of those guys. He actually played through a few different injuries throughout the season, mm-hmm. and I think that that really did kind of come into play along with, you know, 
Louisville Slugger Field being, you know, tougher to hit home runs in, um, especially for a guy who's got opposite field power like Soto. Um, right field in Louisville, it's, it's not friendly for home runs, to say the least. Um, but, you know, if he catches fire this summer, you know, he's another one of those guys that could be a trade ship. You know, yep. if if he's showing the power like he did two years ago, somebody might bite on him. And, you know, that could be something the Reds could use to acquire something that they need, you know, for a stretch run. Yep. Um, move on to the outfield. You know, the guy that we have to talk about is Billy Hamilton. Um, you know, fastest guy in baseball, you know, most exciting player that a lot of people claim to have ever seen. What are your thoughts on Billy Hamilton? I think the key this year is going to see is going to be whether he can keep his on base percentage up. If he can, if he can continue to get on base at a high rate, the Reds will be ready to use, be ready to let Sinchu Chu walk after the season and, and, and move Billy Hamilton to the major leagues. If he struggles at Louisville with getting on base, I think they're going to take a deep breath and wonder whether he's going to be ready next year, which you know you have to believe is the team's plan. I don't think him adjusting to center field is going to be that big a deal, but I think him showing that he can get on base at the AAA level is the key to his success. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that the Reds' plan is to move to Billy Hamilton next year. Um, I'm not as concerned about him getting on base as you are. Um, I'm not convinced that no matter how much he walks in the minor leagues, it is going to be something he's going to do with that rate in the major leagues because I'm just – I'm of the belief that pitchers don't have a reason to fear throwing him strikes at this point, you know, because he's not going to hit the ball over the fence. So why would you intentionally, you know, put the ball outside the strike zone for him? What I'm concerned about and want to see improvements on is his strikeout rate. A guy with his speed and without power is going to need to put the ball in play. And last year at Double A, he struck out one out of every five times he stepped to the plate. Uh, that's not good for a guy with no power. Uh, that's slightly better than what Jay Bruce has been doing for his career, and people think he strikes out too much. Uh, so what I want to see from Hamilton this year before I'm sold on, you know, as to whether he can be, you know, the leadoff guy for the Reds is, you know, a strikeout rate under 17%. Um, you know, I, I'm with you. I don't think the defensive adjustment is going to be a big issue for him. I mean, if nothing else, his speed can make up for most errors that other guys aren't going to be able to do just because they're not as fast as he is. But from the reports I've, I've gotten, uh, you know, he's already starting to pick things up a lot quicker than was expected. So I'm not concerned about him defensively. I just want to see the strikeout rate get a little bit lower. I think that the rest of his game can take care of itself. Um, but if he's striking out 20% of the time, I'm not sure that, you know, he's going to be the guy that we all hope he can be at the major league level. Okay. Um, the, the other guy that, that catches my eye, and, and it's another guy that I like how much he gets on base, is Josh Bellhauer. Yeah, I mean, he was with Dayton a few years ago. I don't know how much you got to see him or even if you remember it was a few years ago. Um, but I really like his swing. He's very short and compact to the ball. Uh, he makes a lot of contact. Now, one thing that should be noted is he's a left-hander, and last year he hardly played at all against right-handed or against uh, left-handed pitching. He was basically a platoon guy who started against right-handers, and it worked out really well for him. He had an outstanding season for Pensacola, um, and you know he can play all three outfield spots. I'm not sure he's a guy that I'd say should be an everyday starting center fielder uh, because of his defense, but you know he can play out there and you know hold his own. 
you know, more of a utility guy at the next level for me. But I, I think that you know he's a quality fourth outfielder in the future. All right. Is there anybody else you want to talk about? Um, oh, Henry Rodriguez. Kind of skipped over him. Um, he's returning to Louisville this year. Last year in Louisville, he got promoted after he broke his hand in Pensacola. And he came back and really struggled to hit. And before that, he had hit over 300 every level he'd ever been at. And he really struggled for the first time in his career. And, you know, I think that obviously coming off of the hand injury, that came into play. Um, but, you know, how he responds to that is going to be really intriguing to me. Uh, and also where he ends up playing. You know, I, I think that he's another one of those guys that's a utility player. But there's a lot of those guys at Louisville and how he gets worked into the lineup and how often he sees at each position because I, I think that he needs defensive practice at second base and at third base, um, you know, to improve there before he's ready for the major league level if he's going to play in the field at all. All righty. That's about all I've got for tonight. What about you? Um, I think we covered just about everybody that we uh, we feel like we should have. Um, all right, well, that's about it for tonight, guys. Thanks for listening in. Uh, Bill, thanks for joining me, and uh, we'll see you guys next week for Revelation Radio. Goodbye.